Good morning. Uh, how many of you have seen one of uh, these, this next slide, next picture up here? It's coming, I promise. There we go. Anybody know what that is? All right. Oh, yeah, we got right here, warped wall. Now, I think there's a demographic gap here because uh, some of you are like, I've never seen that and doesn't look like any fun. This is, uh, this is called a warped wall. And uh, the, there's these versions of their like extreme playgrounds, indoor playgrounds, play places that are popping up all over the place. They're really popular. Um, and it's just, you know, you like take a playground, you put it on steroids and you got kind of the idea of what's going on here. Um, and the, the, the thing about it is like this is, you know, I don't know how tall this is, way tall. The idea is, is that you start at the bottom, you get running as fast as you can, and then you try to climb up that wall and pull yourself up to the top. Now, I don't really want to see a show of hands, but I'm curious how many people in the room think that they could, could do this. Or, or maybe it'd be better to say how many people in the room think that there's just no, they wouldn't even try. You would look at that and you'd be like, yeah, yeah, there you go. Just not even, not even going to like give it a shot. Um, because it's, it's impossible. It's, it's incredibly difficult. Now, I, I will say, as extreme as this kind of stuff is, as the playgrounds that they're building today are, uh, kids today will never know the joys of sliding down a metal slide in 110 degree heat. The, those, those are memories that will last a lifetime, mostly because of the scars that you have on your body. The, uh, yeah, they're really burned into your mind. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've gotten stitches uh, many times off playground equipment. Um, I, I want to show you just a quick video of my kids trying to climb a warped wall. Uh, and, and we're going to use this as an analogy for something here. So this is my daughter, Avery. She's trying to make it up. This is a 12-foot warped wall. Getting, getting close there. This is Liam. Broken arm at all. Working on the 10-foot. Here's Avery going for it. She's reaching for the top. She's almost got it. Oh, couldn't hold on. So close. Liam, you know, yeah, keep, keep trying, buddy. Avery, one more. So close. Ah, there. No. Other hand. Ah. So close. If you're listening online, you're wondering what all this grunting is going on. I want to read a uh, passage of scripture for you. And uh, you know how there, there are parts of the Bible that you hope the preacher doesn't read when you brought a guest that Sunday. This is one of those parts of the Bible, so uh, buckle up. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone. Passages like these uh, and, and others, this is representative of, of many verses in Scripture, feel like maybe the moral equivalent of a warped wall. There's this really steep, 
standard. There's this really difficult challenge and it's like engineers have perfectly designed this thing to be difficult to do. And maybe a few elite human beings can make their way up and they can grab the top and they can pull themselves up. Uh, But most of us, if we look at a list like this, it's like looking at a moral warped wall. Like, yeah, and maybe not even these things for you, but but a list of like what, what feels like do's and don'ts in the Bible. You know, the anger. You know, maybe you don't feel like rage. That's not really me. I don't hulk out or anything like that. But some of these things might hit a little close to home. You might feel like, yeah, I would love to be uh, that person. I would love to be able to grab the top of that warped wall and pull myself up. But verses like this, the moral equivalent of verses like this, it's 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 if you've ever experienced this process of of trying, like reaching for it and failing and reaching and failing, you want to be that better person and you're almost there, it feels like, and then you fall short again and again and again. And and sometimes things we see in the Bible, sometimes ideas like this, it feels like they're, they're very hard to live up to, bordering on impossible. And, and maybe some of you in here feel like, well, I could do all those things, no sweat, I'm in moral shape. But some of you are like, I don't even try anymore. I'm not even going to run up that because I just don't know that I could do it. There's some things in there that I don't think that I could attain, that I could, don't think I could get to. Now, I think our first instinct, you can go to the next slide. Our first instinct, this is the whole passage on one slide, and this is why we don't normally do this because you can't read it without your glasses, right, or even with your glasses. But our first instinct is to look at this specific list. He's listed three groups of five things, and what we try to do is we try to measure our life against these specific things. But, but, But Paul, the author of this passage, isn't creating a list for us to check ourselves by. He's creating a sketch of the type of person that is a Christ follower. This is a person who's like, he's trying to create a portrait. And so it's not these specific things because you could look at these specific things and you could be like, evil desires. I mean, what is it? I, I, I don't know, I, evil desire. That sounds like something like Hitler or Stalin. That's not, that's not me. And so you can feel good about yourself depending on how you define these things or depending on like, I don't rage. And your wife is like, you remember driving in construction traffic the other day? That seemed a lot like rage. You're like, no, no, no. I was just getting a little frustrated, just a little annoyed. Now, just remember, Paul's trying to help us understand this is a portrait of someone who is a disciple, someone who is following Christ, and this can feel like a steep challenge to to draw ourselves up on top of this, this moral wall. And it's not just that we can't reach it. For some of us, you may feel like it's not just that I'm starting at neutral and I can't reach this ideal. It's, it's that I would love to be patient, but I'm actually starting off at a little bit of a deficit. I'm starting in a little bit of a hole. I maybe have a little bit of a, a, of a temper. Or, or maybe it's, it's not that I just can't reach being generous. I'm, I'm in debt. I'm, I feel like I'm in a hole. I would, to, to reach would be to get me back to ground level. It's, it's not just that we don't encourage people like we should or love people like we should, but man, we, are just, we, we just get pulled into to slander. We would never use that term, but we get pulled into gossip. We just, it feels so good to talk about other people, especially when it makes us feel better. And so when we talk about this idea of begin again, we, we don't, we, we know, we're in the room. We can admit this. We're, we're, we've tried here. We don't need a second try. We need a 20-second try or a 220-second try. I mean, we don't need one more chance. We, need, we know we're going to need 100 more chances. We know that we've just tried and we felt like we've gotten close. Now, what happens is, I think eventually, we stop trying 
and that eventually we stop caring. And I think many Christians have experienced, they've just, they just, we do, we settle into an apathy and we think God's standards are too high, I can't reach them, or God created me this way and I'm just never gonna be any different. I, that, that is too steep, it's too high, I just can't do it. The, uh, the other day, uh, earlier this week actually, uh, I was talking to the youth group and I was asking them about like, what do you think that other people think about Christians? What do you think that non-Christians think about Christians? Now, you, you can probably guess what some of their answers were, right? Um, there were a few that were positive, but most of them were, yeah, Christians. And, and literally, the words were strict, boring, um, conservative, you know, and they were just a list of rules. How did, how did we get here with this? How did we get here with this idea? And maybe even in your mind, you felt like that. Like, well, yeah, super Christians, they can keep all the rules. They can follow the list. But how did, how did we get here? And, and how did this happen? We're starting a brand new series, Begin Again. And uh, it actually builds a little bit off last week. You can go ahead a couple slides, I think, for me. Um, it, it, be, it, it started uh, last week when we talked about, we had a wonderful Sunday, by the way, last week. If you weren't here, I'm so sad for you. Uh, because we had, and I know, I know this is so uh, deadly because people are like, well, you're just an optimist. But literally, we, we counted. We had, we had over 80 guests here at church last Sunday. That's unbelievable. And we had an opportunity to share truth with them. What, what a great opportunity where people are like, you know what, I may not come every Sunday, but this Sunday I'm gonna show up and like we, we wanna be ready for them. So it was wonderful. And we, we talked about the resurrection. That's what, that's what people are kind of expecting, but it's one of the most important things we can talk about. But sometimes, and I've heard this criticism before, sometimes churches are like, resurrection, Jesus, Easter, all excited. And then the next Sunday it's just like done. Like, well, what happened? Resurrection was supposed to be important. You're not talking about it anymore. And so I, I think that's valid. I think what we need to do is we need to talk about like what, what, does, what is the ongoing truth of the resurrection? I mean, how does this actually look in our lives? What, what does it change about us? Now, we know the resurrection was just the beginning. It was like the rock in the pond and the ripple effect. And the ripple effect, or a tsunami is probably a better description. The tsunami continues to have an impact in the world. I mean, we have been impacted by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by this historical event. Our lives have been impacted by it. It's this, it's this ripple effect. So people, they told their neighbors, they're like, we saw Jesus, we saw him. They grabbed them by their shoulders and like, no, 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 you don't understand. We saw this guy. He died and then he he was walking around eating stuff. We saw him and their neighbors got excited and they bought into it and their neighbors would go to other countries and they, they said, hey, we met these people and they saw Jesus. This changed their lives. It literally changed the way that they thought, the way that they lived, everything that they did. So these communities popped up all over the Roman Empire all over the place, and these communities were gatherings where people were like, yeah, we believe this. This guy was dead, and he rose again. He was God. He showed us the way. This is real. This is the deal. And they believed it had some impact on their lives. And maybe a way to describe this was the resurrection was a shift in the center of gravity of a person's life. A shift in the center of gravity of a person's life. Um, I, I, I mean, you probably all had this happen. You've had moments, events in your life where the things that were valuable to you, the things that mattered to you, in, in an instant shifted. They, they, they became something different. It maybe happened when you met that person 
and what wasn't valuable and what was important all of a sudden in light of meeting the one became less important. It became dull. I, I literally moved uh, to Oklahoma because I met this girl that lived in Oklahoma that I thought was pretty cool. To Oklahoma, by any objective standard, that is a sacrifice. My, my center of gravity had shifted. I, had, I thought, well, hey, this was important. This path was important. This career path, this job was important. Oh, this person? Now, center of gravity has shifted. When you have a child, your, your center of gravity shifts. It just does. I mean, it's a lot of preparation for it, of course, but your center of gravity shifts, and your life, your life becomes dictated by nap time by this tiny little human being and when they need to sleep your life your schedule becomes dictated by that thing and you were like i would love to come do i would love to jump on the warped wall with you but my child i gotta go to, they're they're gonna you know fall apart we've all had kids where we pushed them a little too far and we're like you need to have a little bit of a reboot to the system you need to sleep and start over and your life shifts it's about nap times and diapers and potty training and all it, it and then teaching kids to drive and trying to save them from hurting themselves and all this college and your life your center of gravity shifts and for the people that experienced or believed in the resurrection, the resurrection was the center of gravity shifting moment. It, it changed everything for them. Their priorities, listen, their hopes, their dreams, what they were, the trajectory of their lives. Resurrection, boom, off in another direction because of this event. And I'm glad that we celebrate it, but we have to understand how fundamentally different people's lives were because of the resurrection. Everything gets reevaluated in light of this new reality. It became the way, the resurrection, and I'm not overstating this, became the way that people interacted with the world through the framework of the fact that Jesus died and then wasn't dead anymore. That became the, the way people interacted with the world. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, go to the book of Colossians again. Colossians is a very cool book. Uh, we're going to go a little bit earlier than that section that I read. Book of Colossians, we'll be in chapter two starting off. Now Colossians is a, is a fascinating book for a variety of reasons because this is a book that Paul, who wrote a lot of what we have in the New Testament, he had actually never been to this particular town. As far as we know, he had never met these people. He indicates that a couple times in this letter. I haven't met you guys, but here's some advice from someone who you know, knows a thing or two. So he hadn't met these people. So I, when I read Colossians, I'm kind of excited because it's like this might be what Paul would write to a group of people like us that he doesn't know. Hey, here's the, here's the real important things that everybody who wants to be a disciple of Jesus Christ should know. And so when we read Colossians, he's not necessarily dealing with a problem. He's just saying, here's things that you need to know. And he weaves together. It's amazing. He weaves together the theology and this practical advice. There's even poetry in here. I mean, it's just all this kind of together. And here you go here's what it's all about now i want you to note as we read this note the language that he uses and this happens in almost every new testament book to this degree we just don't notice it and we don't highlight it in yellow on a screen on a sunday morning but colossians chapter 2 verse 12 note the language having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of god who raised him from the dead, this fundamental theological truth centered around the resurrection. Verse 13, when you were dead, what's he talking about? 
it's the same thing, death and life. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Now, Paul drops that circumcision word right there in the middle, and that would be a fun one to look up on your internet dictionary if you want to right now. Um, Paul, as he's explaining, hey, this is what the new life looks like, he reaches into his tool bag of illustrations and he pulls out circumcision. It's not where I would have gone, but you go with what you know. And he's describing something that people would have been like, oh, yeah, I get it, okay. Something's fundamentally changed about me. Something's gone. That's what Paul's trying to get at. You were dead, now you're alive. Colossians 2, verse 13. And what he's saying is you have been, you, you, have been resurrected. You people that I have never met have been, have been resurrected. Now, I think a lot of us, maybe you're sitting in the room and you're like, oh, that's all wonderful theology. That's fun. We could work that into a song and sing it on Sundays, but I have a normal, everyday life. I got to take my kids to the dentist. I got to mow the lawn. I got to fix the car. The, the, the check engine light came on. What in the world does this big, bold theological truth have to do with anything in my actual day-to-day life? What does it matter? All right, great, I'm resurrected. Okay, that sounds fun. But what does that mean to me? Well, I'm actually really glad you asked because I think this is incredibly important and as Christians, we just sometimes, we just, we just, don't, we just don't tune in. This is not a perfect illustration and uh, this is far from perfect and if you can think of a better one I should have asked you before the sermon but this is what I got and I think that this will help us grasp a little bit of what Paul's trying to help us understand here as Christians. You have been resurrected. What does this mean to my day-to-day life? Uh, let's say that you have, uh, you go out, you're about ready to mow the lawn, you put on your lawn mowing shoes, it's a nice day, you hear you're going to get snow so you live in Minnesota, you want to mow the lawn before the snow comes. And uh, you go out to your, you, you're like, oh, I'm going to check my mail. You pull open the mail and, and there's a letter you don't recognize from a law firm. That's strange. You open it up and it says something about a last will and testament. And there's some great lost uncle, great long lost uncle that was, you know, you'd heard rumors, a super rich uncle. Uh, and evidently he died and evidently he gave all his money to you. You're, you've inherited. You are now a multimillionaire. And for the sake of our illustration, this isn't some scam as it would be if you really got a letter like this. this is, let's, just, let's just say this is the real deal. And you got this letter, this registered letter, certified letter, and it says you are now a multimillionaire. Multi-billionaire. This is an illustration. Who cares? Whatever, right? You've got, all of a sudden, you have, you have way more money than you've ever imagined you would have in your life, right? And you've been, like, you've just, it's just been given to you. And the letter goes on to say something like, oh, there's, you know, a few legal workings that have to play themselves out, but, you know, here in a couple of months, you should, you know, receive the check, you know? And we're not, for the sake of purposes, you, these, you, no taxes, right? This is just, you just, here's your money. You're gonna, you're now, life is now different. Life, whoa, I, okay, I'm, Wow, I, I went to the mailbox thinking one thing about the world and I left the mailbox thinking something else. Now, would, would, that, would your day change as a result of that information? Absolutely not. You still have to mow the lawn. Your check engine light is still on. Your kid still needs to go to the dentist. Your day-to-day operations would not change. But would you change as a result of that information? Absolutely. Would you be like mowing your lawn? Maybe, or maybe you'd see that neighbor kid and you'd be like, hey, come here, I'll pay you $1,000 to mow my lawn, you know? I, you, yeah, 
you would change as a result of that information. You don't have that money in hand, but it would transform who you were. Would you worry about that check engine light on your minivan that you hate being seen in? Nope. You were thinking, man, I've got, I know exactly what car I'm getting now. Who cares? I'm not fixing this thing. We can drive this into the dirt. I'll give it to my kids. I'll donate it to charity, whatever. You, like, the way you're thinking about your life has changed. Do you still have to go to the dentist and take your kid? Yeah, yes, absolutely. All the normal stuff of life, that still happens to you. But is the way that you process it, is the way that you think about it, has that transformed? Yes, And that's why nothing is different and everything has changed. And I realize it's such a weak illustration in light of the resurrection, but it begins to get us to the foothills of the mountain of what the resurrection has done in our lives. Nothing has changed and everything is different. Everything is different. And it is the failure of us as Christians not to be able to see that and acknowledge that and be able to be transformed by that truth. It's not God's problem because the news is good. It's our problem because we're so underwhelmed by it. It's everything has changed. Everything has changed. I think, uh, I think finally, now we're reading this passage. We've read you've been dead, you've been buried, you know, all this, all this interesting stuff. I want you to go back to verse, let's see, Colossians chapter 2, or 3 rather, verse, uh, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. You are resurrected. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Listen to this, church. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Everything has changed, and nothing is different. You died and your life, your life, the things that animate you, the things that, that, that make you who you are is, are now hidden with Christ in God. That letter of the resurrection and the reality of the resurrection is in your pocket and maybe you don't, you ha- you're not able to hold on to the reality just yet. But should that change how you go about your Monday? Yes, absolutely. If it doesn't, then we are missing the point. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. So I think this gets us to uh, where we need to go, and it's, it, and it's this idea. Let's come back to that idea of the warped wall and the steep expectations of Christianity, the steep requirements. And this is so important because when we think about these things, we think about uh, Christianity as achieving something, that I have to run up that warped wall and I have to grab the top and I have to pull myself up. And that's never been what Christianity has been about. We have somehow gotten that idea, but that's a distortion of what people like Paul and Peter and Jesus himself said. You have achieved the top of the wall. And so what, he, what I think Paul would say, the way he would describe this, is that the resurrected life is not about achieving what needs to be done. It's not about me attaining. It's not about me grasping, but it's about me adjusting to a new reality. About my life adjusting to this new truth. It's not about achieving. I've been given it. But it, my life now has to adjust to what's true and what's real about, about who I am. Now, some, sometimes Christ, this makes Christians nervous when we say things like, you have been 
raised with Christ. You have, you have been made alive. And we are worried because we think like, well, hey, if I feed my kids dessert, they'll never eat their broccoli. If you give Christians this, this sense of being, you know, raised with Christ and have been, been given all these gifts, well, then they're never really going to try to do the right thing. They're just like, I'm already set. I'm good to go. My, my daughter is in a... Um, uh, a play called Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and it's, uh, some of you have seen the movie, right? It's, uh, it's a perfect high school play because there's 14 leads, and everybody gets to participate. <laughs> and uh, in, this, in this play, the, uh, you know, the, the, the basic gist of it is that there's this, you know, oldest brother, and he goes into town, and in about, you know, two minutes, he convinces this girl to marry him. What he doesn't tell her is that he's got six other brothers she's going to have to cook and clean for. He drags her back out to the farm, and you know, it's, it's a mess, right? You know, and then the, 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 the bride starts to, to um, oh, what's the word? I can't think of anything but gentrify the boys. I don't know. He starts, she starts to like remake the boys. Or, and, and the oldest brother starts to, to get a little upset. And his wife says, well, hey, you know, you could learn some manners too. And he says, why would I need manners? I'm already married to you. And I, I think that's what we are worried about as Christians. Why would I, if, if God's already given me the gift, if God has already saved me, if God has already raised me, why do I need to try? Why do I need to bother? But that's not what Paul says. Paul, Paul still, he tells us you have been raised, but you've got to put away these dark things, this rage and this malice and sexual immorality and lust and evil desires. You've got to put that stuff away. And he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Because those things introduce hurt and destruction and ruin in God's good world. And of course God hates them. Of course God wants us to get rid of them. But it's not, it's not to achieve. It's because of who we already are. And this is so important. And maybe, you know, I, I, I just want this idea to sink deep, more deeply than anything else I've said. It's because Paul is trying to tell us, and he does this in all his letters, he's trying to tell us that behavior follows identity. Behavior follows identity. It's because of who you are that you do what you do, not to become that person, because of who you already are. Behavior follows identity because you have been raised. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses, uh, verse 6 and 7. Wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived, but I, I transformed you. Now you must rid yourself of all these things, anger, rage, malice, malice. I don't even use that language anymore. Do you ever wish bad things would happen to other people? Yeah, malice, yeah. Well, not everybody, just certain people. People who cut me off in traffic. Slander, I don't slander anybody. That's a legal, def that's a legal term. I don't slander, nobody's ever sued me for slander. You ever like look at somebody and like whisper to somebody else, oh, look at this guy over here, what, a, what an idiot. Slander, filthy language from your lips. And then he says, do not lie to each other because this is not, it's not who you are. You, it's, not, it's not your identity. Don't do it because it's not who you are. You have taken off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self. And I love this last part, which is being renewed. And, 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 and what Paul is telling us is that that self, that person that you are, is constantly being transformed. You're constantly beginning again and again and again and again. Every day. 
You're, you're, you have a chance to, to begin again and just make a little bit more progress into becoming who you really already are, who God has already told you you are. And, th- and this is why it's so important. I'll, I'll wrap up with this. If, if we believe we're at the bottom of that wall and there is just no hope, you know what happens? We, we stop trying. And then what's a little bit of sin? Because I'm never going to achieve that anyway. So what's, what's just a little bit of an indulgence over here? Who cares? I mean, it's, it's like being a teenager with a messy room, you know? If your room's already trashed, what's, what's a little bit more mess? But if you believe in your core, if you believe that God has shaped your identity, has transformed your identity, well, then those things matter. Those things make a difference. Not to try to achieve, but because of what God has done. We're not trying to dismiss or minimize. We're trying to be renewed in the image of our creator. So maybe you felt like my kids climbing up that wall, try and fail and try and fail, and eventually you're just like, I gave up. I want to challenge you that God has already resurrected you. And because of that truth, it is now time to be the people that God is asking us to be, calling us to be. Because our behavior follows our identity. We're going to wrap up with a word of prayer and, uh, and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we are grateful to be able to be here this morning. Uh, God, it's important for us as a, as a room full of believers uh, not to think that we've somehow arrived, but to understand that we have a chance to begin again constantly lord you've told us and it blows our minds to think about it It even scares us to think about the fact that there's nothing that can prevent you from redeeming and renewing us so no matter what dark things we have in our lives no matter what hidden secrets we have in our past lord help us to know that you can redeem anyone that we can always begin again And Lord, I pray that as we continue to explore what the resurrection truly means in our lives, Lord, that you would transform us, that we would begin to see these behaviors that we thought we could never achieve, these things that we thought we could never do. We would see these things accomplished through your power, through your spirit, working and living and animating us to be more like Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. You are dismissed.